0: this is a
1: week in which we uh, will celebrate Thanksgiving. We gather in different ways and places this week to celebrate Thanksgiving. And besides a family gathering and a time to be grateful for all the big things and and about our nation and all those things, it's a good time for us to remember with gratitude this Sunday before Thanksgiving, particularly uh, what what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we share in the Lord's Supper today in a few moments to celebrate that and remind us of that. I read this week that psychologists tell us that sincere gratitude expressed through thanksgiving is the healthiest of all human emotions. And they go on to say that gratitude produces more positive emotional energy than any other attitude in life. Many, many years ago, somewhere around maybe 64 B.C., Cicero, the Roman philosopher, said gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent. Of all others. So, gratitude is extremely important. A fairly recent article in the Wall Street Journal reveals, I think, some of the results of gratitude in a 10 year study on the significance of gratitude. And what they found was adults who frequently feel and express gratitude have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who don't. They're also less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or even alcoholics. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. So there's a lot of good reasons to be grateful and to express that gratitude. Now, researchers are also finding that gratitude brings the same benefits to children and adolescents. And studies are showing that children and adolescents who grow up being grateful tend to be less materialistic. They get better grades. They set higher goals. They complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches, and they feel more satisfied with their friends, families, and schools than those who don't. Great reasons to express gratitude and live a life of gratitude. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should constantly be thankful to God for all the blessings that he brings into our life, and we should express gratitude for that. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 100, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His thankfulness continues through all generations. In Psalm 116 the psalmist asks, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And then he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people. And so we're encouraged to come as we worship and we gather together to express our gratitude, to express our thanksgiving. Sean Anker is a psychologist who teaches at Harvard and he suggests that we can train, actually train our brains to become more grateful by simply setting aside five minutes a day for practicing gratitude. And in those five minutes, though, as we practice gratitude, we are to be very specific and concrete about thanking God for things. Not just a general thank you, God, for all the blessings in life, but actually for every little thing. Somebody said, I'm, I'm thankful for the delicious takeout dinner I had last night. Or I'm thankful that my daughter gave me a hug. Or I'm thankful that my boss complimented my work. At the end of one month on that study, researchers followed up and they found that those who practiced gratitude were happier and less depressed than those who did not. Six months later, they discovered that they were still happier, less anxious, and less depressed. Another great reason for us to express gratitude and thanksgiving. I read this week also that we take approximately 23,000 breaths every day. We don't even think about it. It's a normal action of our body. But we should learn to be thankful even for those things. We have a tendency to give thanks to God for the things that takes our breath away. So why don't we learn to be thankful for every breath he gives us every day, 23,000 of them. Now, as we come to share in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering, of course, with gratitude the cross of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death for us. The cross event is central to our salvation through our reconciliation with God, and it always stands as a symbol of our faith. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians in his first letter, he said to them, "When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as proclaimed to you, and as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified." When we look at our scripture in just a moment, we'll see that the night before his crucifixion, Jesus left us a vivid thanksgiving reminder in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, we have an account of that night. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When we take communion, as we will do in a few moments, celebrating the Lord's Supper, we do several things. We publicly identify our faith. In Christ. In the next worship hour we'll baptize two who are publicly identifying and taking their stance with Jesus Christ in baptism. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper we also publicly identify with our love for Jesus Christ. And we also publicly state that we want to live closer to Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul wrote and said, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. See, we express our gratitude for his selfless display of sacrificial love, that being Jesus. He said, on the night when Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he passed it among them saying something like this. This is to represent what I'm doing for you. It's my body that will be broken on the cross. And when you eat this, do it as a reminder. Do, do it to remember me for what I've done for you. So Today we, we look at this. Jesus saved us from sin when he died on the cross. And then we we'll look at it more in detail. And that is he saved us from the penalty of sin. Everything that you and I had ever done wrong, he paid for that on the cross. He also saves us from the power of sin. We know how powerful sin can be in our life. How it can dominate our life, our thought process and everything about us. And Christ died to save us from the power of sin that it would no longer have dominion over our life. And eventually he saves us from the presence of sin. When we enter into heaven for eternity, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no grief. And all of that is good news because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Romans 5, 6 says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We need to remember that, that when we take of this bread and the cup, that we're the ungodly for whom Jesus died. And then Jesus also took a cup that night. In essence he said something like this. This is a cup representing the blood that I will shed for you. And when you drink this you are to do it as a reminder that I spilled my blood for you. I gave it for you and this is how much I love you. So do this as you remember me. You see because of what Jesus did on the cross we will never be the same. We're different people. We're forgiven people. And that's something for us to be thankful for. So when we take communion, we remember what Jesus paid for. Jesus paid for three things on the cross. First, he, he paid for your forgiveness. And again, don't just take that as a blanket for act of forgiveness in your life. But for a moment, get real. Think about the most vile sin that you ever committed. Think about the thing in your life from the past that would bring you the most shame and the most guilt if everybody knew what you had done. Now, thank God because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that's been paid for. And you've been forgiven. That's been wiped out as if it's never happened in God's mind. Thank him for the gracious act of forgiveness. He paid for your forgiveness. Jesus also paid for your spiritual freedom. He paid for your freedom that you're no longer held bondage to the shame and guilt of sin. Because he paid for your spiritual freedom. You're set free in Christ. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And Jesus Christ has paid for your future. It's because of his sacrifice that you and I have a future that is secured in heaven. And we can only begin to imagine that. This has been a, a taxing week for me already. Had a funeral for a 37-year-old on Friday. And this week we'll have funerals to celebrate the life of three of our members at various ages in their life. And for every one of those, they were believers in Jesus Christ. And there is a wonderful eternity that they are claiming already the moment that life left their body. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. That's why Paul would say, the eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. You see, the wonderful thing we remember today in being thankful for our salvation is that we are reconciled to God. In sin, we were enemies to God, but through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. And reconciliation means doing away with the hostility and the enmity between two parties. All the strife has been taken away and you're restored to peace and a wonderful relationship. This past week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the South Carolina Baptist Convention met in Charleston. And it was a a fantastic celebration and it was the first time ever we met at at Mount Moriah Baptist Church. which was an African-American church. And wonderful, wonderful, gracious hosts they were for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Then on Tuesday night, we went to a manual AME Church. You remember that, what happened there in June of 2015 when a deranged killer was loose and, and nine or ten of them, were, well, those members were killed? We met there. I had that opportunity to go downstairs in that fellowship hall where that shooting took place. And then I gathered with hundreds and hundreds of us as we had a joint worship service together. The choir from Mount Moriah joined with the choir from First Baptist Charleston who were the apart in, in their spiritual worship. And they led us in a in beautiful uh, anthem of worship and praise. We heard the testimony of one whose wife was killed in that shooting, in that tragedy that day. The thing that really spoke to my heart and sent chills up my spine was when all of us joined together, packed into this beautiful Gothic structure, lifted up our voices and we sang together, holy, holy, holy. I looked around and people were weeping and people were raising their hands and I felt a chill that went up my spine from my feet to the top of my head. And we celebrated reconciliation, not only with God, but between two races of people in the state of South Carolina. How significant and powerful that is. The same is true in our reconciliation with God. God uses the word reconciliation through the Bible so many times to talk about our restored relationship with Him. But you need to understand something. We're the ones who are reconciled to God. The Bible never tells us that God is reconciled to us. But it speaks about our being reconciled to God. And the seriousness of our sin is made known in the cross. The payment for sin is death. And the cross shows us that God, through Jesus Christ and his death, paid for our sins. And we're reconciled to him. So we have the right today to come. With grateful hearts, with thankful hearts, to celebrate this Lord's Supper, to partake in the body of Christ through the tiny piece of bread, and to partake in the blood of Christ, the new covenant through his blood, through the cup that represents that blood. If you come today with a heart filled with gratitude for what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, forgiving your sins and reconciling you to him then you encourage to partake of this meal as we remember with gratitude what God has done for us and we express that gratitude at the table.